Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, open them to the book of 2 Timothy. We're going to be looking at chapter 4, verses 9 through the first part of verse 17. Chapter 4, verses 9 through 17. Well, we are nearing the end of this important letter written by the Apostle Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy. In fact, including today, we have just two sermons left in this book. Last week, we listened to Paul, who is nearing death at this point, reflect back on his life and ministry, saying, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And hopefully all of us at the end of our life will be able to say the same. We also heard Paul look forward with anticipation to the crown of righteousness that he would receive one day when Jesus appears. Um, And so he has that to look forward to, as we all do, who have put our faith in Christ. But as Paul concludes this letter, the reality is that he is not with the Lord quite yet. In fact, as he writes, he is about as far from heaven as a person can get, at least in this world. Uh, Paul is chained in a dungeon in Rome for preaching the gospel. He is very likely sick and cold and, worst of all, largely alone. Today's text is a somber reminder to us that life doesn't always go the way we'd like it to. And with that, people come and go out of our life, some for good reasons, some for bad. And we have to prepare ourselves for that. In fact, in these verses, we're looking at today, we're going to identify six different kinds of people that God allows to pass in and out of our life. And furthermore, this text reminds us that people, because they are sinners, will let us down. They will disappoint us. In fact, uh, in my Bible, this passage that we're looking at this morning has the heading of the abandoned apostle. And maybe yours says something similar to that, but that's how Paul feels In this text, he feels abandoned, and maybe you can identify with that today. But the good news is that we will end this message on a good note, because the truth is that when it seems to us that all have abandoned us, that we have no one left in this world, there is always one. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There is always one who will never leave us, who will never forsake us. And we'll talk more about him at the end of the sermon. So let's get into the text and let's see what Paul writes to Timothy. And we start out today with a personal request in verse 9, just a simple sentence. He says, Timothy, be diligent to come to me quickly. Now, just a brief word here, but it's important. Paul in this passage finds himself largely alone. And this is why he says to Timothy, Be diligent to come to me quickly. Paul yearns for company. He yearns for fellowship. He loves Timothy in Christ, and he longs to see his son in the faith. In Genesis 2, the Lord God himself says, It's not good for man to be alone. 
Now, if you're familiar with that passage, you know that God then created Eve out of Adam's side and brought her to Adam as a helper comparable to him. And what a wonderful institution that Christian marriage is, one of God's best gifts for sure. But there's a broader application to that passage there than just marriage, and it's this. God did not create any of us to be alone. He created us to be in fellowship. He created us to be in community, not only in vertical fellowship with him, but in horizontal fellowship with other Christians. God himself exists in perfect community as Father, Son, and Spirit. We as humans are made in his image. Thus, we must understand that we are made, we are wired for community as well. Even those, those of us who are introverts, who draw our energy from times of solitude, we need other people also. Now, some of you are extroverts, and you actually get your energy from being around people and talking to people. I get my energy from wanting to be by myself, preferably in a canoe, on a creek somewhere, fishing, and I get recharged that way. But even if you're wired that way, you still need other people. That's how God made you. I think this is something that we take for granted, oftentimes, until it's stripped away from us. When we can't come to church and be with our brothers and sisters in Christ, when we're isolated from other people, then we realize how important that fellowship really is. That's one lesson that I hope that we've learned and retained from this era of COVID-19 when we could not meet together. How important and vital it is that we as Christians assemble together. Psalm 133 says, How good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. This is a truth that I'll guarantee you Paul understood and appreciated very well when he was in that dark prison cell in Rome with only one other human soul, so far as we know, who was ministering to him. And we'll talk more about that here in just a moment. But the main thing I want us to hear right now is the urgency in this old man's voice in verse 9. The importance of what he's saying. Please come to me quickly. I need you, Timothy. May we never take for granted the fellowship of the saints. It is a precious thing. May we thank God for those who minister to us in our time of need, and may we be faithful to minister to others. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. Why is Paul asking for Timothy in the first place? Why is it so important that Timothy come? Why is Paul in such great need of someone to come alongside him? Because normally, on his missionary journeys, Paul had quite the entourage around him, but that's not the case as he writes this letter. So what happened? Where are all these guys? Well, let's read the next few verses and we'll find out, starting with verse 10. What happened to all his companions? Well, he says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me for ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. 
All right, let's talk about this list of names that Paul gives to Timothy here. Because in these verses we just read, there's eight names, if I counted correctly, eight names. And only one of those eight actually remains with Paul. The other seven are gone. They've left him, some for good reasons, some for bad. Each of the seven men who are now gone were men in whom Paul trusted, at least at one time. Men in whom he invested, men he discipled, men he poured himself into. And now at the lowest point of his life, he looks around and they're not there. And again, not all of them for bad reasons, but the point remains, Paul feels alone. He feels abandoned. And for the next few moments, I want us to take a closer look at these men whom Paul names in his letter to Timothy, because these are the same categories of people who will come and go in and out of our life as well. In fact, we see six kinds of people, I believe, listed out in these verses. So let's jump right into this list of names and let's identify them and discuss them. First, in verse 10, we see this man named Demas. Demas represents those who forsake us. Sadly, there are people who come into our life and become very much like family who later leave us and forsake us. And when that happens, it hurts very deeply. As we see in this text, the Apostle Paul was not immune to this hurt. Demas was a man who was very close to Paul at one time, He's mentioned in two other epistles in the New Testament in a positive light, as being with Paul and serving alongside him in the trenches of ministry. And now Paul says, one of the most tragic sentences in all the New Testament, Demas has forsaken him for love of this present world. What was that love? Was it love of money? Was it women? Was it power? We don't really know. But the point is that Demas reached a point where the lust of the flesh appealed to him more than the beauty of Christ. And in the process, his love of the world replaced even his personal loyalty to Paul. There's nothing more tragic than to see a professing Christian return to the ways of the world. 1 John chapter 2 says, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That verse is not referring to a a Christian love that's concerned for the world's salvation, but rather it's referring to a love of sin and a love of the flesh. Now listen, we all fight the flesh constantly, but if we succumb to it and abandon the faith and our fellow Christians, we can be assured that the love of the Father was never truly in us. So we must be careful and vigilant to make sure that we give no place to the spirit of Demas in our heart, for he's always lurking. And as the song says, all of us, we are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. But rather, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we must stay faithful to Christ and to our brothers and sisters in the faith. But what about when we're in Paul's shoes? What about when we're the ones who are abandoned? What about when we're the ones who are forsaken? That hurts. In those times, it helps to remember that our Lord knows how we feel. Remember that Jesus was forsaken by one of the 12 men that he brought into his inner circle. Judas of Iscariot betrayed with a kiss. You think that didn't hurt him? You think that didn't break his heart? 
And then when Jesus was arrested and tried, no one stood by his side. Only a handful watched from a distance. The shepherd was struck and the sheep were scattered. You think that didn't hurt him to look around and see no one by his side? When we are betrayed, we are not alone. There is one who understands. And we must turn to him for our comfort. And if we do that, he will heal the hurt in our heart. People will let us down, but Jesus never, ever will. Well, let's switch gears a little bit because the next two names on our list remind us that not everyone who leaves us does so for bad reasons. The next two names listed there in verse 10 are Crescens and Titus. And these two men represent those whom God calls elsewhere. Verse 9 says that Crescens left Paul for Galatia, and Titus left Paul for Dalmatia. Both of these men were assistants of Paul. They were men whom Paul had discipled and raised up to be leaders in the church, and now their time to lead had come. It's important to remember, as we fulfill our great commission mandate to make disciples, that ultimately we're not making disciples for ourselves but we're making disciples of Jesus. And what that means is that as much as we might like to, we cannot keep people for ourselves. But we must be willing to turn them loose, to launch them out into the world to fulfill the calling that God has put on their life so that they in turn might go and make disciples of others. This was true for the Apostle Paul who no doubt would have selfishly loved to keep Crescens and Titus by his side so that he'd have them for company and for caretakers. But Paul didn't raise these young men up just to sit by an old man's side. He raised them to go out into the world and make an impact for Jesus. Let's think about a couple applications of this principle. How about this? Any healthy church that is making disciples, is not going to retain all of its members. Why? Because God is eventually, in his time, going to send some of those people out to go elsewhere and make disciples. And man, I can tell you, especially from a pastor's perspective, it would be great if we could all just stay right here forever and just have wonderful fellowship together But we have to remember that it's not just about us. The kingdom of God is bigger than Selmore Baptist Church. Now listen, we'll all be together in heaven for all eternity. And we can visit for as long as we want. But until then, we have a mandate to go, to scatter, if you will, and to preach the gospel. Parents, I would even say this principle applies to us in the raising of our kids As we strive to make disciples of Jesus Christ, of our own children, we don't raise them in the faith to keep them tethered to our home. But when they're grown and the time is right, we send them out into the world to be difference makers for Jesus. The point in all of this is there comes a time when we have to let people go to fulfill the calling that God has put on their life. And I'm sure that it hurt Paul to see Crescens and Titus go to their own fields of ministry. I'm sure he would have loved just to hold on to him. But I'm also convinced that he knew it was necessary 
and he would never hold them back from fulfilling God's will for their life. So, some forsake us, and it hurts, but others move on to do what God has called them to do. That hurts too, but in a little better way, perhaps. God is faithful to put people into our life as well who stay with us. Let's look at the next name on our list because he gives us an example of this. And his name is in verse 11. His name is Luke. And Luke represents those who stay through thick and thin. As Paul sits in his prison cell, old and decrepit, there is only one person still by his side. His faithful and erstwhile traveling companion, Dr. Luke. It would appear that Luke joined Paul way back on his second missionary journey and has been with him more or less ever since. Not only helping him spread the gospel message, but also using his medical expertise to tend to Paul's physical ailments, to keep Paul going. Luke is a great example of someone using the gifts God has given them to further the work of the kingdom. I hope that you all know God doesn't just use preachers, but he wants to use doctors and diesel mechanics, teachers and techies, farmers and factory workers, and all manner of occupations to build his kingdom. And he will, but we have to make ourselves available for that. All work is sacred work when it's done for the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke used his medical knowledge to keep Paul going physically. But more than that, Luke was a loyal friend to Paul. He was with him through thick and thin. When everyone else was gone, Luke was still there. All of us need a Luke in our life, don't we? And those people, and you all know this, are very, very rare. And so when God does give us a Luke, a faithful friend that never leaves us, we need to appreciate them and be very thankful and grateful for them. And by the way, we need to be Luke to someone else. We need to be that kind of friend to others. And then on rare occasion, as we move on to the next name, there are those who leave our life and come back. And that's what we see with the next name on the list. The next name is the name of Mark there in verse 11. And Mark represents those with whom we reconcile. Now, this is a neat story. The story of Paul and Mark's relationship is rather interesting. Mark, or John Mark as he's sometimes called, accompanied Paul on his very first missionary journey. Some of you are familiar with this story as told in the book of Acts. However, Mark decided halfway through the trip to come home. He decided to bail. Well, when it was time for the next missionary trip, Barnabas, Paul's other traveling companion, suggested to Paul that let's get Mark to come along again. What do you think Paul said? Uh-uh, no way. He bailed on us the last time. There is no way he's coming with us this time. And it says the contention over this matter between Paul and Barnabas, who is Mark's cousin, got so sharp, their contention grew so sharp, according to Acts 15, that they split up. Barnabas said, fine, I'll take Mark, and we'll go over here and tell people about Jesus. And so Paul said, okay, and he took a man named Silas and went the other way. Now, you might think that Paul and Mark would never have any use for each other ever again after that. But if so, you'd be wrong. Yes, they had a disagreement at one time. Yes, they went their separate ways. 
But listen, when Christ is truly Lord over both parties in a relationship, healing and reconciliation are always possible. Amen? It's always possible when Jesus is Lord over both of those people. Here we have Paul at the end of his life, many years later, saying, Timothy, please get Mark and bring him to me, for he is useful to me. He probably never thought he'd say those words, but he said, Mark is useful to me. And I love that. And I love that these two men of God were apparently reconciled to one another. Look, there may be times when you and a brother or sister in Christ decide that you need to go separate ways. And that hurts. But even in those circumstances, we must always treat one another with love and grace because you never know down the road if God might bring you back together again. God has a funny sense of humor that way sometimes. And so we need to be aware of that. Hosey Blue, speaking of people coming to the church and then leaving the church, would say people get on the bus and people get off the bus. And we have to learn to accept that. But the important thing is, he would say, we bless them when they come and we bless them when they go. Why? Why don't we just get mad and say, well, fine, leave. Don't ever come back. Well, for starters, blessing them when they come and blessing them when they go is the Christ-like thing to do. But second, we never want to burn a bridge. We never want to shut a door to a relationship that Jesus might reconcile somewhere down the road. And it doesn't happen often, but it happens. Every once in a great while, it happens. And when it does, it's a beautiful thing. And it's only possible through the grace of God. It can happen. And we see that here with Paul and Mark. Now, we said earlier that there are those whom God calls elsewhere. Very similar to this, there may be those that we send out as we are led by the Holy Spirit. We see an example of this in verses 12 and 13 in the men of Tychicus, who is sent out by Paul, and then Carpus. And really, what I want to point out about these men is that these men represent those that we can count on. If you've never heard the name of Tychicus before, you're probably not alone, but it may surprise you to know that Tychicus is mentioned five different times in the New Testament. Like Timothy and Crescens and Titus, he too is a devoted follower of and assistant to the Apostle Paul. Interestingly, every time Tychicus is mentioned in the New Testament, Paul's sending him somewhere. He's always sending him. He's sending him on some mission or some assignment oftentimes to take a message to someone. Tychicus seems to be Paul's go-to guy in this way. The fact that Tychicus was used time and again in this manner suggests that he was faithful, that he was trustworthy. The same could be said for Carpus. At some point, presumably when Paul was arrested and sent to jail, he entrusted Carpus to watch over two things very important to him. Number one, his cloak or his coat, and number two, his books, which included, it says, his parchments. Now, many scholars believe the parchments that Paul mentions in verse 13 were actually manuscripts of the Old Testament, and that the books that he mentions in verse 13 were likely commentaries written by rabbis, and as such, they would have been priceless to Paul. 
He wouldn't have just left those in anybody's care, but he apparently trusted Carpus to watch over these precious belongings and to bring them to him. Again, we all need people like this in our life. We need people like Tychicus that we can trust to send out and represent us. We need people like Carpus that we can count on, people that we can trust with anything. And we need to be that same kind of friend to others. We're thankful for men like Tychicus and Carpus. But unfortunately for every Tychicus or Carpus in our life, there is usually also an Alexander the coppersmith. Verse 14 mentions him. And Alexander the coppersmith represents those who oppose us. Paul says in verse 14 that this man did him much harm. And it doesn't say exactly what Alexander did to Paul, but I I think we can safely assume that Alexander was opposing Paul's teachings. Paul says in verse 15 that Alexander greatly resisted his words. And this may indeed be the same Alexander mentioned in 1 Timothy 1.20, of whom Paul says that he delivered to Satan, that he may not learn to blaspheme. But when you and I serve Christ, we will always have those who oppose us. But we must always remember, people are not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. People are deceived, and they are used by him. So it's never for us to retaliate in kind. It is never for us to respond to attacks with more attacks. But rather, we must trust such ones to the Lord. For the Lord says that vengeance belongs to him. I will repay, says the Lord. And note that Paul says as much in verse 14. He says, may the Lord repay him according to his works. Paul didn't say, when I get out of here, I'm going to go find that Alexander the coppersmith, and we're going to settle this thing in the parking lot. It's not what he said. Paul wasn't taking Alexander the coppersmith into his own hands. He put him in God's hands. And we must learn to do the same with those who attack and oppose us. Trust them to God, and he will take care of them in his way and in his time. So there you see on the screen six kinds of people that come into and out of the life of probably every single one of us. And maybe as we went through those names, you were thinking of people in your own life who correspond to those descriptions. And of course, each one of us correspond to one of those people or more in the lives of others. And hopefully we correspond to the faithful ones. Hopefully we are not Demas or Alexander the coppersmith. But I want to close by looking at Paul's statement in verse 16. Because I think that we've all been here at some point and we know how painful that this can be. Look at what he says. At my first defense, which would have been his first trial, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. Now put yourself in Paul's shoes for a moment. Can you imagine being Paul? All the lives you've touched, all the miles you've traveled, all the people you've led to Christ, all the people you've discipled and helped, and when you stand trial... When you need others the most, not one single person is there with you. That would be so incredibly lonely and hurtful. And again, maybe some of you have been in a similar position to that. But the point of this sermon is not simply to commiserate with Paul and feel sorry for ourselves and get all down in the dumps and say, yeah, I'm so abandoned, woe is me. 
Because the next statement Paul makes is the most important thing that he says in this entire passage. Look with me just at the first part of verse 17. But the Lord stood with me, and he strengthened me. We'll stop there. I want to save the rest of it for next week. The Lord stood with me, and he strengthened me. If you take only one thing from this sermon today, take this. Even if everyone else in this world turns their backs on you, Jesus will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Proverbs 18, we quoted at the beginning of the sermon, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And church, that friend's name is Jesus. People will let us down. People will disappoint us, but Jesus will always be with us. He will stand with us when no one else does, and he will strengthen us when everyone else departs. Some of you may be in a place today where it feels like everyone has abandoned you. Everyone has given up on you. I assure you, Jesus has not. He loves you. He is there for you. He is not hiding from you. The book of James says, if we will draw near to God, that he will draw near to us. As the song says, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. Jesus was with Paul when he stood on trial. Jesus was with Paul in that cold, dark prison cell at the end of his life. He was with Paul when Paul was martyred for the faith. And Jesus is with you and me always when we put our faith and our trust in him. Dear Christian, be assured of that today. Be encouraged with that today. People will come and go out of our life. They just will. That's life. But Jesus will never leave us. He will never forsake us. So let me ask you, have you put your faith in Jesus? In order to be a Christian, you must repent of your sin, and you must believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And the scripture says that if you call upon his name, he will save you. He'll save you this very moment if you call upon his name. If you're here today and you're ready to follow Jesus, I pray that you'll do that. If you have questions about what it means to be a Christian or to follow the Lord in baptism or to unite with this church in membership, please seek me out after the service and find me or find Pastor Bill. We'd be more than happy to sit down with you and visit with you more about that. Or if not this morning, we'll make a time to visit later this week. We'd love to do that. Please, please let us know. One final time, just so it sticks in our hearts people will let us down. Jesus never, ever will. Amen? All right, let's pray, and then we'll have our closing song. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his faithfulness to us. Thank you, Lord, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today feeling abandoned, feeling that they are alone, that you would encourage them with this truth, that they would leave here knowing that they are not alone, that you stand with them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.